Welcome to The Raw, recorded at Sioux College, which is located in the Robinson-Huron Treaty Territory. We are grateful to Mother Earth for providing us the land, water, air, and food needed to sustain all life, and we acknowledge Indigenous peoples as the original stewards of this land, who have lived in harmony and in respect with all creation. As we are all relations, it is important to recognise this interconnected relationship with one another and our obligation to respect the land that has nourished, healed, protected and embraced us. We honour our Baduan Bachawana First Nation and Katagan CB Garden River First Nation as the original caretakers of the land that Sioux College is situated on and acknowledge the contributions of the historical Métis Nation of Sault Ste. Marie in the stewardship of this territory. Okay, welcome to The Raw. Thank you for being here today. Would you like to introduce yourself again for us, for everybody who hasn't maybe heard you on The Raw before? My name is Kristen Auer, and I'm the Diversity and Inclusion Associate here at Sioux College. Thank you for your time today. Thank you for inviting me. For everybody who's listening today, this episode is airing on September 25th, and on September 30th, it is the National Day of Truth and Reconciliation, and it would have felt wrong to have not acknowledged that day on this podcast. So we wanted to have some conversations and bring that awareness um, to the podcast and share that with you. And to start fostering conversations between Indigenous and non-Indigenous people in a, in a good way. As long as you approach it in a good way, you're going to hear how awkward we were with all of us sitting in the room, two non-Indigenous people and a bunch of Indigenous people who are all deeply affected by colonization of Turtle Island. And you'll hear it in our voices. You'll hear it in the pauses. Um, some of them are still working through how they actually feel about it. So when they were asked a question, they're like, I'm on the spot. How do I really feel about it? And then to actually muster up enough strength to get those words out. You'll hear it in me. You'll hear it in Sasha. So just be forewarned, this is the way conversations sometimes go. Sometimes they're awkward because these subjects are not easy. Doesn't matter which, which side you are, Indigenous or non-Indigenous, they are not easy conversations. So we've decided to leave all that awkwardness in. And um, I believe that that'll be more organic because the next time the group of us meets, it may be a little bit easier for us to, to find our voice. Yes, I agree. So um, as Kristen said, you can feel the awkwardness in this, in this conversation. This is not an easy topic to discuss, and it won't be an easy episode to listen to. But we hope that you listen through to the end, um, and we, you know, appreciate your time. Yeah, and I appreciate all the the truth from the indigenous participants, mm -hmm. and thank them immensely for for sharing a part of themselves. As difficult as it was for them to put it into words, because I felt that in that room. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Chi Megwetch, Chi Megwetch for Absolutely. all of that. Yeah, thank you.
Hello and welcome everyone. My name is Kristen Auer. I am the Diversity and Inclusion Associate here at Sioux College, and I'd like to start us off in a good way and acknowledge the land in which we are recording this podcast. We are located in the Robinson Huron Treaty Territory. We are grateful to Mother Earth for providing us the land, water, air, and food needed to sustain all life, and we acknowledge Indigenous peoples as the original stewards of this land who have lived in harmony and in respect with all creation. As we are all relations, it is important to recognize this interconnected relationship with one another and our obligation to respect the land that has nourished, healed, protected, and embraced us. We honor the Abajuan, Batuana First Nation, and Kirigunsabi, Garden River First Nation, as the original caretakers of the land that Sioux College is situated on, and acknowledge the contributions of the historical Métis Nation of Sault Ste. Marie and the stewardship of this territory. Thank you. As a non-Indigenous person situated on traditional territory here, it is important for settlers to make this statement, to acknowledge the colonization of Sault Ste. Marie and of Turtle Island and of all traditional territories across the world. The meaning is more coming from a non-Indigenous person than it is from an Indigenous person, because if an Indigenous person is giving their own land acknowledgement, they're acknowledging the land that their ancestors have inhibited since time immemorial. So it has more meaning coming from someone like me, a non-Indigenous person. And joining me here for this recording of this podcast is Barbara Nolan. Would you like to say hello to everyone? Ah, bonjour, Kanawaya. Miigwech. And Jonathan Nolan. Ah, bonjour. Stephanie Boyer. Hello. And Carolyn Hepburn. Ani Sego. Thank you for being on The Raw. We really appreciate the time that you're giving us today. And what we wanted to hear from you today is your hopes for the future and your hopes for what Sioux College can do to really support our students and be more involved in our Indigenous communities and how we can bring everybody together as we move forwards with the truth and reconciliation and really achieving those calls to action, especially in the area of education, which is, you know, where Sioux College is and what we're here for but on all aspects as well, how we can have these conversations. I will freely admit that I'm obviously feeling very nervous and kind of out of water here, and that is something that I want to acknowledge. So I want to um, make sure that we have these conversations so that people who feel that they just don't know, know that they can have these questions and have these conversations and do the work themselves. We can do some reading and, and look these things up too, but we can have these conversations. We can start with what that day means to you. Through my studies at Sioux College, I graduated from the uh, Social Service Worker Indigenous Specialization Program. We studied in a class called Indigenous Wellness. It took us straight through genocide that happened here in, in Turtle Island and the repercussions that it has warranted throughout the years. And in the teachings here on this land, I learned that seven generations previous to what we're living right now affects us right now. And seven, we are affecting right now, seven generations to the future. So people can talk about intergenerational trauma and uh, the stigmas that are perpetuated uh, surrounding indigenous uh, peoples. You hear a lot about alcoholism, about violence and things like that. What I learned in my class was the genocide that was perpetuated, there's a lot of trauma that hasn't been dealt with. The truth is just coming out. 
now it's time for allies and for non-Indigenous people to turn the truth into reconciliation, but take it one step further with cultural humility and take action, take action in our own lives to make sure that we're not perpetuating stereotypes within our own circles. So Truth and Reconciliation Day, that's what it means to me. It means doing better as a non-Indigenous person to uphold and uplift my Indigenous friends and the ones who are living in this land with me. Hi, this is Carolyn, Dean of Indigenous Studies and Academic Upgrading at Sioux College. I think this is a a really interesting question and really personal in, in a lot of ways, depending on, you know, where you are in your personal journey when it comes to, to truth and reconciliation. And I see this as a day, as an opportunity, I suppose, to educate mainstream Canada in terms of the truth and realities of Indigenous people, our history where we have been, and I guess where we're going in the future as well. But I think it's also important to remember the fact that this is not a day for celebration. Um, This is often a very difficult day for many of our people, because we are grieving the loss of many, many things when you look at what has happened in Canada and as Indigenous people. So I think as public institutions, as businesses, as people who are looking to be allies in in the work that we're currently undertaking as it relates to truth and reconciliation, it's important to recognize that you have to make sure you are looking to see who is carrying the weight of a lot of these initiatives, because I think sometimes as institutions, we look to our Indigenous departments to say, okay, What are we going to do today? Can you facilitate this? Can you be a guest speaker for that? Not recognizing that sometimes this places an additional burden on staff who may be already struggling with what could be a very extremely difficult day. However, I also, I guess, see this as an opportunity for us to come together and have these dialogues. And for me, when I think about truth and reconciliation, you know, we really have to recognize and honor our elders because I think it's with their courage, their strength, and their dignity that, number one, we wouldn't be knowing about these children who are buried in, you know, unmarked graves in the back of schoolyards. Um, and that's hard to reconcile. And I think it's important to understand that there's some of our people who reject that term, and they won't, won't be ready to reconcile um, at any point. And We're all on different journeys, I think, when it comes to to truth and reconciliation. And I think for myself, part of this journey and part of what this work needs to be is the whole decolonization and the whole concept of decolonization, because that's going to contribute to reconciliation and the work that we're trying to do there. So for myself, I see this as an opportunity to start having dialogue that is going to make Canada a better version of itself so that we're going to leave good things behind for our own kids, a better place, a better Canada for them to grow up in. So for our communities, you know, I can't speak for for the communities. I think Um, it is definitely, again, a recognition of who we are as Indigenous people, the struggles and the resiliency Um, And I think also an opportunity to look to the future in a positive light um, as allies and as friends. Miigwech.
Uh, this is Stephanie Boyer. I'm one of the Indigenous student counselors here at Sioux College. So for me, I'm looking um, and working with our people for, you know, as many years as I have. I acknowledge and understand it's just the beginning. Um, a lot of our people are still on our healing and on our journey. Um, but at the same time, it um, because our people have never been given that safe place to heal, because our grandfathers, our grandmothers, our ancestors were, it was never acknowledged the trauma that they were faced uh, in residential school, the 60 scoops, um, that that history was never, the truth has never been told. Um, so it's a small step in on the beginning of that healing journey for our people because that safe space has never been created over the years, you know, because it was residential school was a good thing, was, you know, was kind of what was in, in mainstream and what, what people were led to believe. Um, not recognizing the trauma on our communities, on our grandfathers, on our children, on our grandmothers. Um, so having that day is, you know, recognition that, you know, that safe space is beginning to be created by society. A small step. Um, we still have a long ways to go, but that's one of the, the things that it means to me is that, that our people are finally going to be able to have that safe space to heal and grow. Thank you much. Um, so good afternoon, everyone. Um, I'd like to share that I was able and uh, grateful to share in my language who I am. Uh, so what I shared with everyone this afternoon was my traditional spirit name is uh, Northern Thunder. I do come from uh, and registered to Mississauga First Nation. Uh, with family ties in Garden River First Nation, and I'm raising my family here in the Bawating region, which we know as Sault Ste. Marie. And most importantly, I do come from that Martin clan. Uh, so I want to first and foremost acknowledge that. Um, I also want to acknowledge uh, our friend Kristen here that opened us up in that good way with our smudge. Uh, so acknowledging our medicines. I also want to acknowledge uh, our elder in residence, Auntie Barb, uh, and open us up with that beautiful prayer. And the more and more uh, we hear the prayers being opened up, um, us as Indigenous people, some may understand the language, some are picking up on different words. Uh, I recently just was sharing with uh, actually my wife, and we were talking about um, hearing the language. And oftentimes when I'm hearing it, I don't understand the full sentence, but you, you can feel the feeling behind it. Um, and it's that sense of home. So that's really beautiful. So I want to acknowledge that and, and say miigwech for opening us up in that good way. Uh, so good afternoon, everyone. My English name uh, is Jonathan Boyer Nolan, and I am a former student uh, of Sioux College. And I'm just, I'm really happy to be here today. I do have the uh, lovely privilege of uh, sitting as a representative on our Indigenous uh, Circle on Education. And uh, I'm really thankful to be in here today. So Miigwech Sasha for uh, inviting me. In regards to the question uh, and overall the topic that we're, we're here today, uh, you can hear it in many of our voices. It's really uncomfortable. Um, it's emotional. Uh, this day is going to bring up a lot of uneasy feelings for many of us, uh, Indigenous or non-Indigenous. And um, for me, I always like the, the saying is we do have to get comfortable being uncomfortable to have these types of conversations uh, especially with the topic of truth and reconciliation. What does that mean? What does that mean to an individual? What does that mean to a community? And what does that mean to an institution? 
they're all three very different things. Um, the way the question was posed, how is it, you know, reflective to me? Truth and reconciliation, um, when the calls to action were first uh, put out and, and shared with the public, um, I was quite young and, and just trying to understand my role as a Anishinaabe uh, man and where I fit in my community. And then understanding what those calls to action were trying to address, um, I looked at them and I reviewed them and I thought, this is going to be a huge undertaking. And when are we going to see the impacts and when are we going to see this come to fruition for this generation? And, and I would love to say today that, you know, many of these calls to action have been achieved or um, even addressed. Um, but as we know, since the calls to action came out, you really got to ask yourself, um, where are we now? Where are we today? And whether we are part of an institution, organization, or a community, you have to, you know, ask each other, where are we at with the calls to action? Do we understand what these calls to action are addressing? Do we understand that there's sections under here in terms of education, in terms of community, in terms of health, in terms of child welfare? Um, there's many calls to action that needs to be addressed. But for me, it's um, I absolutely don't ever want to come across cynical or, um, I guess, malintended. However, for me, I, I as an individual, I'm feeling frustrated with this day. Um, frustrated that we do need a day to recognize this and, and to even draw attention to this as it should just be equality. It should just be um, implemented in all of these areas. However, um, I do got to recognize the, the generation before me that has done extensive work to get these calls to action to government and to have it implemented um, or semi-implemented, if you will. I guess the more I'm really thinking about this day, it uh, brings up a lot. It brings up a lot. Um, you know, as Carolyn mentioned, as, as individuals and professionals, you know, we have to have these conversations in our professional work, but also as a personal person as well. And I can speak to one example. Um, in my previous role, I was a, a counselor. And this is when um, our 215, our, our little Benogis out, in, out west were, were recovered. And I'm working as a clinician, um, working with our Indigenous population. And so I'm walking them through those emotions, those feelings of what that meant to them. But as a professional, as an Indigenous professional, also have to feel those feelings and what that meant to me. And being a father to two young children, what does that mean to that generation? What is it going to mean to them growing up? And I really, you know, I, I hope and in, in the work that I get to do today, I hope that I can help this work and help these calls to action be addressed so my children in the next seven generations don't have to experience a lot of the things that you know my ancestors and myself personally had to experience i think this day is going to have a lot of different meanings to a lot of different people um and again what's uh, what stephanie said is is where we are on our journeys um many people are are done a lot of that healing work on themselves to take a true good look and, and reflect on what this day means others don't even want to take a look yet and that's okay and they're not ready to and the day will come when they are ready to um, but I, what i would like to see is additional resources and supports for when our community is ready to start healing and doing that work and i say community as all of our community not just particularly indigenous community because this is going to bring up a lot of uneasy feelings for our 
our allies, for our friends, for our, our um, friends here in Canada. And what does that mean to them? And um, ensuring that they also have a safe place to feel those feelings as well as we heal together. So this day, um, it's it's going to be, you know, annual. Um, we continue to build off this day. And I hope, you know, next year when we have a, a similar conversation, some of these calls are addressed nationally. Uh, but even here in the institution at Sioux College, you know, how can we address those calls to action here? So, miigwech. Aboso, wangan kwendigo, makwando dem. We kwempungi binjibanaba, nangwadish kitagansi being dita. Um, hello, greetings. My name is Manishnabe. My name is Clay Woman, and um, I'm of Bear Clan. And I originally came from Wikwemikong uh, on Manitoulin Island. Actually, it was a little village uh, 10 miles out of Wikwemikong called uh, Doganing. Doganing, that was uh, our community, South Bay, where I lived. Where I grew up in South Bay, we didn't know any English. Well, let me go back for a little bit here. I was counselor here in 85 to 2003, and then I left because Sioux College was um, downsizing staff, and if you qualified uh, the 55-plus-year-old, you could apply uh, uh, for um, to leave the college. And I took that on because I was... Um, being pulled by language to do something with our language. And um, we know that our language kind of disappearing. And as uh, we have fewer and fewer elders who are speakers, you know, going into the spirit world, there's going to be fewer and fewer speakers that are left. So I saw that as um, a call for my action. What am I going to do about it? You know, and uh, so... I left college, and I went to work with um, in Garden River. Well, the, our office was in Garden River, but it was working with communities across the North Shore from uh, Sagamuk, Serpent River, Teslon, Garden River, Rankin, uh, the three locations of Rankin, Batchwana. And um, our job was to visit the communities uh, organize a gathering um, in a community and uh, to see what the community wanted help in. What can we do? And we were there to help them develop their community healing plans. Now, this is back in 2003. That's like 20 years ago. And uh, so that's when we start talking about heal and People do not like that word healing for some reason or other. I'm nothing wrong with me. You know, I don't need to be healed. You know, and that's the attitude that um, we saw during that time. And uh, so we had to be careful in addressing the communities when we went there to develop these healing plans. So we started calling wellness plan, a wellness plan. And but whatever word that you use, you know, some community members, well, I'm not unwell, I'm not sick, you know. So it was hard to to um, to deal with that, you know. Part of the job was to have the community members that came to these meetings to identify some of the things that are wrong in their community, what is going on in your community. 
and they would identify as um, teenage pregnancies, uh, suicides, um, drugs and alcohol, you know, all that. And one community, we had all these written on wall, not on the wall, but on paper on the wall, you know, and that one, uh, one of the community members says, oh my God, I didn't know our community was so sick, you know. And then we said, well, we are here to help you develop your community healing plan. And that's what we mean by that, you know. So we helped them develop their very own community healing plan. Where it went, I'm not sure. And it was around that time, too, that they had the residential school compensation package for individuals who had gone to residential school and you could apply for compensation depending on how many years. Like you got compensated for just having been there and then so much for every year that you were there. So the longer you were there, the more that you got compensated. It required you to kind of relive that time in your life. So you got that compensation package, the one that just for being there, you got some money, and then for every year that you were there. So you fill that out. But if you had experience more than uh, what what they say that you'd be compensated for, so loss of language was one of them, and... um you know, loss of community ties, loss of your community, you know, all that. And if you, maybe your leg got broken by a teacher or you were sexually abused, you can apply for more compensation. But then you have to go before, like, it's not a judge and jury. It wasn't court, but it was a hearing. And uh, at the hearing, then you had to explain, you had to relive that time in your life. So that's like adding trauma to already a traumatic, you have those feelings inside. So that was available for people to apply for. So that was that. And then around that time, then the Truth and Reconciliation uh, talks started happening. And then from there were the calls to action. The calls to action for me are, okay, not for me to do something about it, but for you to do. You as a community member or somebody out there, non-Indigenous, to do something about whatever, okay? Do something about it. And um, But then we get asked, residential school survivors, We get asked to speak here. We get asked to speak there. And I'm quite willing to do that because I'm quite open with my experience. Like, I won't go into every little detail of uh, some of the traumatic experience that I have had at residential school. But I will tell a story, you know. And truth and reconciliation to me means, okay, it's time the truth came out. Like before that, with the uh, residential school uh, settlement, we weren't out there telling our story. We had to write. We had to write the story. And then we had to uh, tell the people who got our story uh, to either get rid of it or send it back to me. So you had a choice uh, in that. 
So, okay, so our story was told, but not to the public, you know. But this truth and reconciliation, it's going to be out in the public, okay. And they did a lot of study. A lot of areas were researched. And what can be done in those areas? What can be done? Um, so truth and reconciliation to me, okay, I've told the truth. Myself as a person, you know, I've told my truth. And I think I have come to a level where I'm, um, I'm okay with everything. You know, there are times, of course, you know, you get triggered by certain things, you know, and that sets you back a bit. But I've learned I have the skills to come out of that. And, um, I know that some individuals are uh, reluctant in facing the truth, so they're not ready to tell their story, and, um, and we just have we have to respect them for that. Like we can't force them, um, and, and they will do it in in their own time, if ever, in this time, in this lifetime. Some carry their stories to their to their grave, and not have shared it with anybody in their family. So this truth and reconciliation, uh, those who are not ready, well, it's just another day to them, you know. Uh, for myself, because I've done a lot of healing work with myself in 1985 is when I started my healing from my traumatic experiences from from uh, uh, St. Joseph's Girls School in Spanish, Ontario where I spent four years, but uh, we went home at Christmas time and in the summertime. So, you know, we didn't lose that family, that community connection uh, to any certain extent that others did. But we were there enough, enough time, so we were able to um, read, write, understand, and speak English. And um, I have forgiven my parents for taking us there, um, they did a good thing uh, because the good thing that come out of that was me being able to speak English, you know, and being able to read and write it and being able to get my BA at, at uh, Algoma University, you know. So the, it wasn't that bad. And their decision to send us there uh, was based, I think, um, on the future of us girls, our future, we, we would probably have to go out off the reserve and work as a teacher, as a nurse, or, you know, some profession. And in order to do that, you need those skills, those reading and writing skills um, to be successful in the um, outside world from the reserve. Uh, so I believe that I did forgive my parents. I forgave myself in part of my healing journey. I forgave myself for having done some of the things that were done to me at residential school. That's the slapping. That's the strapping. Although I never strapped my kids, you know, but the harsh words, you know, that come out of my mouth at times with my children and my children were young adults, and we were all together one time, and I asked them to forgive me for any wrongdoings that I might have done them when they were growing up. 
And one of them, one of my boys says, Mom, you weren't that bad. You know, so, you know, I feel good that uh, that's, they forgave, forgave me. And I asked them for that. So forgiveness, I think it's the last step towards your, uh, like when you're in the grieving cycle. I read that book, The Grieving Indian, if anybody remembers that old book. It's a long, it's an old book. But if you ever get a chance to read it, maybe read it, because we are a grieving society. We are grieving from colonization, from all the things that are that happen in our history. And the grieving cycle, going back to that, then the, the last part of it is your acknowledgement of, okay, that happened to me. Those experiences happened to me. I acknowledge that. And then, okay, then I will work on that. And then find the final one is forgiveness before you reach peace. So I truly pray for everyone. Pray for the individuals, the residential school survivors who are not able to get as far as I have so far. You know, and, but the road continues. The road is going over there and we're still walking on that road. So uh, your work with yourself always, always is not finished. There's no end to it. We have to, you know, renew it every once in a while. I think that is all I have to share. Miigwech. As an Indigenous educator, I, I think it's important that as public institutions... We have a responsibility and an onus to provide opportunities for learning. But I think, again, reiterating the importance that this is not a day of celebration. This is a really challenging day for many of us. So to be very aware in terms of what asks you're putting on your Indigenous staff, on your Indigenous departments, um, when we're undertaking this work. So... I know for September 30th here at Sioux College, we do have some plans in place to acknowledge and educate our, our student and staff population here. That will be done in a respectful way that I think acknowledges our losses, but also looks towards the future. I think that's an important underlying message that, unfortunately, it's part of the truth-telling, and that's tough. Uh, and I tell people, you know, I, I recognize this is difficult to listen to or listen or, or talk about or have these conversations, but try living this day in and day out. At least you can turn the TV off or close the book or close the computer. We don't have that chance or that opportunity. So, you know, our realization that I think we are moving in, in the right direction. When I think about where we've been in the past 20 years, just in my short time within the education sector, we're moving that needle forward. And I think opportunities like September 30th is an opportunity again to create opportunities for dialogue and mutual understanding and respect. So I hope to see our institution, our staff, our students uh, out there participating in the events that we have planned. And I just want to... Um... I know I've you know, to say again, thank you for being here today. And I just want to also say to all of our international students who are listening, you know, you've, you've come to Canada. Your intention is to become a Canadian, uh, maybe. Um, and so for those of you who are intending to eventually become Canadian, 
learning about the history as it actually is is really important because it walks in the direction of truth and reconciliation and you know it like Carolyn said it's very easy to scroll past or turn off the news and I think as new Canadians it's really important that we do look at the past so that we know where we're going and so on September 30th Please do come to the college and participate in any of the events that are happening, but then also take some time to have a look at some of the resources that will be listed with this episode. It's just a part of becoming a, a new Canadian and a part of being part of your community. So being a member of your community and really knowing how to contribute and have that civic duty towards your fellow Canadians. So um, when I first came to Canada, being British... There's, you know, um, a lot there, and I didn't know enough about North America's history, and so I partook in the book club that was being run, I think Crystal was running it, and we read Seven Fallen Feathers, and um, that was a big moment for me. I just want new students, new international students, to really take that moment and also learn about the history too, and tell us about their country and their history and the things that they've gone through as well, but I think if you're going to be a new Canadian, you should walk in that direction. Hey, it's Jonathan again. Um, I, Sasha, you brought up a really good point. And during my time here at the college, I think that was something that I was really pushing for, especially for our international orientation. As we're recording this, orientation has actually happened today. And that was something I'd really like to see is because what we understand is our international students are coming here, not just to Sioux College, but into Canada. And to really understand that, and this would be a perfect opportunity, a great opportunity for them to have that understanding right from the get-go, right from when they get here, to understand the importance and the responsibility they have mm -hmm. if they want to become a Canadian. And I do want to just highlight, you know, Carolyn had mentioned, you know, being mindful of, you know, what the ask is for our Indigenous, you know, our staff. Um, the faculty here, but also for our students as well in the classrooms. When these topics come up, please be mindful what you're asking of the students. Um, a lot of them too are just, you know, finding out their, their ways. Um, so it could be a lot for, for our students. On the plus side of truth and reconciliation, I do see a number of initiatives that are happening across the country, across the, the province, and even here in our local community. Um, and one in particular is not here in, in our community, but uh, it's uh, it's a cartoon show, uh, Molly of Denali. And this is a, a, a wonderful show um, that's reflective of our Indigenous population, our Indigenous kids. And even though they're Gwich'in from a community in BC, um, my kids can still relate to them. And uh, we watched an episode the other night, and it's called uh, Grandpa's Drum. And it talks about the story of... Uh, uh, Molly um, having her drum she's getting ready for a talent show at her school so she asks Chada uh, who's her grandpa can you come and drum with me and he says oh you know Sequoia which is granddaughter in Gwich'in I you know those songs have left me many years ago um, and he no longer has his drum so they went on a little investigation adventure trip to find his drum they ended up locating his drum and the, his friend that had it said you know maybe if you give his drum back his songs will come back to him and so we're watching this episode and my daughter uh, runs over to where we keep our medicines and all of our, our stuff. And we have two little drums for uh, my, my daughter and my son. I have twins. And she grabs both of those drums and brings them over. And as Chada's um, watching Molly and Tui uh, sing their, their traditional songs, he stands up 
and tears start flowing down his face and his songs come back to him and i think it was just so i get emotional every time i watch it and i talk about it because for me sitting in my living room watching my kids being able to have that opportunity to drum and see themselves reflected on a cartoon be safe enough to to want to pick up that drum that was so cool even though we don't speak the language frequently in the home these are little things that we could be doing and um it was just it was a beautiful moment so i wanted to highlight that that good work that is happening too um and all the good hearts in our community so miigwech i want to implore any non-indigenous voices out there who are willing to learn and and are eager to learn if you feel not confident enough to ask, do it. Find that courage. Ask questions. Oh, I asked questions. When I went to my first full moon ceremony, it was, which way do I walk around? And then I, I received the teachings of, of, you know, we walk clockwise in the, in the east here and in the west, they walk counterclockwise around. I learned the directions, the, the medicine wheel teachings of the interconnectedness of everything. Regardless of where on earth we are, where we came from, our ancestors are all one. Just make the simple effort of learning how to say Ani Bojo, Kristen Indijnikaz, Rochester, New York, Indonjaba, Boating Dada. I just said, my name is Kristen in the language here, and Anishinaabe Moan. My name is Kristen Auer. I'm originally from Rochester, New York. I'm not indigenous. I do not have a um, clan, so I don't use a clan. Um, and I live here in Boating, which is... Uh, here in Sault Ste. Marie, add a, a land acknowledgement to your email signature. It's very simple. Just acknowledging where we are, who we are in this whole story about colonization, about genocide. And I believe truly that by doing small things, we're just making that effort and we're working towards the goal of healing because everyone needs to heal. I didn't learn anything when I lived in the United States. We have we call them reservations. We don't call them reserves. We have reservations all over the area where I grew up in, in upstate New York, you know, Tonawanda. Everything is an indigenous name. If you look at Oneida, um, all the way to Syracuse, to Onondaga, everything is an indigenous uh, name. I didn't learn anything in, in school, all the way through high school, nothing. When I moved here, I learned. I was taken to the graveyard at Shingwak Residential School on Algoma Use property, and I took it upon myself just because I wasn't able to work when I first moved here. I hadn't had gotten my PR yet. So I did some reading and I, I learned about the history here. And then I understood when I went into shopping centers and I heard those stereotypes being perpetuated. My indigenous friends, you know, shared stories with me about them entering businesses in the art community here in Sault Ste. Marie being followed around the store simply because of the color of their skin. I was like, I didn't grow up here, so I didn't know any of this is going on. So I took it upon myself just because I was so angry that this is being perpetuated to learn. And then when I chose my program at Sioux College, SSWIS with an indigenous specialization, we learned the history. We learned why some people are struggling right now. We learned that you look at one indigenous person who could be the same exact age, come from the same exact community as another indigenous person. Say there are two males, they're both 25 years old. They both went to the same high school. We don't know where they are in their culture, in their learning. And that is all because of the, like I talked about the interconnectedness. They were removed from 
where they were living. They were put into an environment that was a different language, were different teachings, a completely different religion. So they lost that interconnectedness. So I also want to implore any non-Indigenous people listening. It's not a, 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 well, they're not Indigenous enough. Everyone's in their own place for this journey. We need to acknowledge that as non-Indigenous people. I hear non-Indigenous people walking around going, I'm an ally, I'm an ally. That's not a badge you put on yourself. You're not electing yourself. It's something that you're given by the Indigenous people in your life. The first time one of my Indigenous friends called me an ally, I was like, ooh. <laughs> like, and it kind of was like I'm tearing up right now thinking about it. It's, it's a huge honor. So thank you for having me here today. She was going to pawn the table there for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> we do have the uh, week of truth and reconciliation through Ontario Indigenous Tourism. And uh, we actually have one of the creators here of the uh, story for the drone hey. show. <laughs> Take it away. Well, my daughter works for the Ontario Indigenous Tourism. Associ- I don't know if it's association or what it is. And the organization decided to have three days of activities in the Sioux area. And they picked Sioux St. Marie because it's uh, the site of one of the residential schools, Shingwak. And uh, so they worked in partnership with uh, the Shingwak and and Algoma University. And I'm not sure where else, but they got uh, the venue. Some of it is going to be happening in the... Um, the mill, uh, the um, Whitefish Island area. Well, they were asking my daughter, do you know any storytellers? Well, my daughter knows what kind of a storyteller I am. And uh, she says, well, I know somebody. They contacted me. Like, she didn't ask me. They contacted me. And I said, sure. But it was a task to tell my story in nine minutes. And how was I going to do it? You know, I had to change the script quite a few times, like it was too long. And I didn't like the story the way it was uh, going. And I thought, let me go to the beginning. You know, so I told a bit of um, the um, creation story, just a, just a short bit. And then I went into a, a story about um, Wojashk, the muskrat. The muskrat was very instrumental in the creation of Turtle Island. Okay, so I told a story, and it was my story of my life, but through the the Wojshk, through the muskrat. So now they're going to create a drone show out of my story. It's going to be in the sky at night? It's going to start at 9 o'clock on September the 30th, 9 o'clock in the evening, at the Silver Creek Golf Course. Okay. So any of you want to go and see that drone show, Mm -hmm. you can go there on September the 30th, 9 o'clock. Go there for 8.30, maybe even 8 o'clock. So you can get a good spot to watch the drone show. Miigwech for your listening. You know what I think I love about this is it's like almost seeing something that you would see as traditional, historic, what have you, combining it with modern technology yeah. to yeah. really kind of 
demonstrate, yes, we are yeah. part of the future yeah. as well, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. What an innovative way to engage, and I think in particular youth, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And create and generate that excitement. Yeah. So yeah. I'll yeah. definitely be showing up early yeah. to yeah. get a good seat. <laughs> yeah. Jimmy Wedge, Basindo Yek. Thank you for listening. Thank you to everyone who participated in this episode. And thank you to all our listeners as well. As we said at the beginning of this episode and throughout, it is important that we have these conversations and spend time learning about our shared past as Canadians and future Canadians. By examining our past honestly together, we can take these small but important steps in the direction of reconciliation and towards a version of Canada that benefits all. During this episode, we mentioned resources and links that would be made available. This list is by no means exhaustive. It is a list that has been compiled by myself and Kristen with the help of the library. And it is just to give you some examples of where you may start if you wish to pick up a book or have some reading. There is also a link to the event that Barb mentioned at the end of the episode there. These resources and links were included in the communications email that was sent out announcing this episode and added to our success hub on MS Teams. To find the success hub and join the team, simply search success hub in the create or join teams button on your team's landing page. You are also welcome to email us at theraw@sucollege.ca and we will send you the information as well. Thank you. Miigwech.